So our, our sermon today, really, uh, it, it's about God's perfect design, God's perfect design, and then it's also about how there aren't any of us who live in God's perfect design. God's perfect design has been more or less ruined, okay? Uh, you can do things, you can get closer, you can get closer, you can get, I don't know if you can get close, but you can get closer uh, than, than maybe you once were at one time, but it's almost impossible for us to live, uh, in fact, because of sin, I'll just go ahead and say it is impossible for us to live under God's perfect design the way he really wanted things to be. But uh, we can get farther away than, uh, than we need to. Even our sinful selves can sometimes know this isn't right. We can get closer to this. Uh, and the, the reason that this is what the sermon's about is because what we're going to see is somebody living very much outside the ideal, way outside of God's design. And we're going to see for that individual uh, how, how bad it is, how hard it is to live outside of God's ideal. And everybody, I think, here will relate to it on a certain level, some maybe more than others. But I think we all know, especially in terms of human relationships, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I said it in an Easter sermon a couple of years ago that uh, you were not meant to live. God never created you to live a struggle-free life. But because of sin, there are struggles that were not intended to be there. When God created people, he said, fill the earth and subdue it. And then the snake comes into the garden, and they were meant to resist the temptation of the snake. So you were meant to have two struggles in your life. You were meant to have a sort of a, a man-against-nature plot line in your life where you fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and you build something, you build civilization, you build a habitable place where there was no habitable place before. And then the other, other struggle you were meant to have is a, is a you versus evil struggle. God is against evil. You are meant to be on God's side against evil. And when the snake comes, the tempter comes into your life, you are meant to resist and resist triumphantly. You were created to have those two plot lines, those two struggles in your life, and you were meant to be victorious in both of them. But because of sin, because we yielded to the snake, the man versus nature plot line has gotten way out of control. Way out of control. And nature kills a lot of people. Instead of us being victorious over nature, nature is victorious over us in so many ways. It also... Uh, caused us to ally with the snake more than with God. And so we, we have a man versus God plot line in our lives. And we were never meant to have you versus God. It was never, you were never supposed to fight against God. You probably have found yourself fighting against God many times in your life when God is asking you to do something that you know that you need to do, uh, but you resist it and you try to tell God that, no, you're wrong, I, it shouldn't be this way, I'm not supposed to do this, I don't have this calling on my life, surely you couldn't be... Uh, calling me to surrender this part of my life, any of that. Whenever that kind of struggle goes on in your heart, that's you against God. You're never meant to experience that. But the biggest one is man versus man, people versus people. You're never meant to have a people versus people plot line or, or struggle in your life. Your relationship with God was always meant to be harmonious. It was created to be always 100% of the time completely fulfilling and harmonious. 
And your relationship with other people was meant to be 100% of the time completely uh, harmonious all the time. Never any conflict. You were supposed to live that way. And yet, what fills our hearts and minds and our Facebook feeds and our Twitter feeds and our Instagram and our uh, interactions with people and the strangers around all the time? Man against God, man versus God, man versus people, especially man versus people, people versus people, you against the world, you against uh, even your own closest loved ones. It happens, and it happens all the time, and it's awful. And so here we are all living outside of this perfect ideal, victims of a perfect ideal, perpetrators against the perfect ideal, not knowing how we're supposed to live. And the very first human relationship that was ever created is the one that is hurt the most. God created Adam and Eve, man and woman, man and woman together. And he said together, you are supposed to be a special partnership, a special bond, a special team, a pair together. And in fact, God created the man and the woman both in his image, both in his image. It's not that the man exemplifies God and the woman is his counterpart or something like his servant or anything like that. That's not the way it is. And it's not that the woman really exemplifies God and, and, and uh, the man is her servant or her counterpart or anything like that. No, they are both created in the image of God, and yet they're both very different. Men and women are very different. I don't think anybody uh, would disagree with that. Uh, men and women are very, very different. And yet they are meant to come together, and both, both that, those relationships, that relationship is meant to help you understand God. You see, uh, a man by himself cannot know, uh, cannot know God unless there's a woman in his life who is expressing femininity uh, in front of him. And, and remember, because of sin, this has all been ruined. This has all been ruined. So in a man, there are these noble parts of a man, and then there are these not noble parts of a man. And so when you think of man, I want you to think uh, men and women in this little speech that I'm giving right here, right now, I want you to think about the most noble parts, the greatness of what a man can be, and then the greatness of what a woman can be. The noble parts of both uh, reflect the glory of God in a certain way. And uh, a man can, can be alone, but what did God say? Uh, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to uh, give him a helper, a helper. And that helper is also made in my image. And so the man will know me better. He will know me because we know each other, because I'm his creator, because we talk all the time. But he's going to know me better because he knows her. She will help him know me. And the same thing for the woman. The woman will know God better because she knows a man, because she knows a man. And even though the male-female relationship is so difficult sometimes, even though uh, movies and comedians make a lot of money talking about how hard it is to be in relationship with each other, the fact is we're very valuable to each other. And so I've got all my dude friends out there, but Susie's teaching me things about God that they could never do. And Susie's got a lot of girlfriends out there, but I'm teaching her things about God, hopefully, that she could never know without that relationship with me. And so God set up this perfect ideal, the man and the woman together in a perfect partnership, loving each other, loving God together, getting to know God because they know each other better, 
and doing God's will together, conquering nature together, all right? Uh, husbands and wives, do you like to do little projects together? Do you like to build something uh, together? Do you like to uh, do yard work together? At least that, that is a, uh, something Susie uh, likes to do, and, and I like to do with her. I, I always do better on any project when she's there. Um, she keeps my anger intact. What did God say to Adam after he sinned? Your work's going to work against you, bud. And that's exactly my experience. Okay? And I get frustrated faster than I should. But she has a sanctifying effect on me that I'm not going to lose it in front of her again. She has a sanctifying effect on me. And I probably have a sanctifying effect on her, but I didn't even tell you what it was. She's so good already. Okay. And in this male-female relationship, you have the right to expect an incredible loyalty, an incredible intimacy with each other, and a lifelong relationship. If you're in that relationship, that is exactly what God designed, created, and wanted for you. But, but, how many of us live outside of God's ideal? Obviously, things have gone wrong. Everybody knows that, you're, that the world doesn't experience, we don't experience the world the way God intended for us to experience it. And so things come in uh, that ruin God's good plan, God's good design. And so uh, one of the things that come in and, and ruin it, and this is an epidemic, I think, in, in um, the Christian world, is that, say, I was a missionary at one time, and I was with this organization, and in that organization, um, there are an incredible amount of single women, single women who want to be married. Uh, I could go through my Facebook feed or my Facebook friends or whatever, and I could probably find 15 or 20 uh, single women who wanted to be married a long time ago. But if I go through my Facebook feed of 1,200 people or something like that and find all the single guys for them, they're not there. There's one, two, something like that. It's an incredible epidemic. And I was single for a lot longer than I wanted to be single as well. And so... Uh, what God said about me is not good for the man to be alone. I knew that. I was on board with that. But it was very hard. It was very hard for me to live and to thrive and to flourish um, until finally Susie comes along. And all these other uh, girls that are Facebook friends with me or whatever, still waiting, still waiting. And now, it's not like Life was just awful for me. I made it worse than it was. And it's not that they're not flourishing at all. They are. But there was a desire, and there was a design that's just not getting fulfilled. And on the, the flip side of that, on the flip side of that, when you have single men, when you have single men, uh, and there are actually a lot of single men out there, uh, but there are a lot of single men who, uh, instead, of, instead of finding a real relationship with a real woman, they're settling for something on the internet. They're settling for something digital. Settling for something that they ought not to have. Something that may be uh, 
quick and easy, but it's not real. It's not real. Certainly not fulfilling. It's not really what you signed on for. It's not what you were hoping to have. Nobody grows up hoping that you'd be isolated from all women and addicted to pornography. Nobody grows up thinking that. But that is the trap, the prison that people get put into because of sin, because of whatever. And everybody will probably have a different reason or a different story about how this happened to them, how they got stuck in this place, or what drove them there. But besides uh, the, the, the problem of people not being able to pair up, there are people who pair up and then split up. All right. So there's this problem of marriage and divorce, marriage and divorce. And anybody who's been through a divorce can tell you, that's not what I wanted, it's not what I signed up for, it's not what I dreamed of my entire life, and wow, was it awful. Wow, was it awful, an awful thing to go through. And, you know, we can talk all day about should it have happened, what could you have done, or, or blah, 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 but most of the people that I know, I can't even say that, but a lot of the people that I know, yeah, they're stuck in a place. That was, that was about their only option. In the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce, they came to him with the question. You see, this marriage and divorce thing, it's not a new problem. It's been around. It's been around for a very long time. And they come to Jesus and they say, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus, he comes back to the story that I told you there at the beginning. God created Adam and Eve, both in his image, puts them together, and the two become one flesh after marriage and after the sex act. It, it bonds them together forever. And that is the ideal. That is what God created. That is God's design. And it should not be deviated from. And then, and then they come back and say, well, then why did Moses allow us to divorce? Why did Moses allow this? Why didn't he just say, nope, nope, can't do it? And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts. Because of the hardness of your hearts. Because when you're living uh, in a design or in a situation uh, that uh, sin has, can contaminate, is, can potentially contaminate so badly, and people can get their hearts hardened so badly that it absolutely becomes not heaven on earth, but hell on earth to be married to this person. There has to be a way to get out. But if, if that, that happens, if that happens... Somebody's heart got so hard, probably. And, you know, we can analyze these things on a case-by-case -case basis. And you probably know the exception to every rule. But Jesus said, the hardness of your heart sometimes make it so bad that there has to be a way out. There has to be a way out of these situations sometimes. There's only been one couple that I knew um, that while they were going through the divorce proceedings, they were so amical about it, the judge stopped everything and said, are you sure you want to do this? It was a very interesting uh, situation. That they, that's what they said. They, they had everything planned out. They, they had actually gotten together uh, before and sort of divvied everything up, split everything up, and, and, and they were in the proceedings, and it was, you know, in any kind of divorce proceeding, shouldn't, you, shouldn't they be shooting daggers at each other? And shouldn't they say, uh, I wish this person was dead? That's the, that's the reason I'm divorcing this person? Shouldn't that be the way it is? If, if somebody's heart is so hard, but in this situation, this couple, how, how can you go through a, a divorce sort of amiably? If that's, what, if that's the case, 
like the judge said, maybe y'all ought to give it a second try here. They still ended up getting divorced anyway. Maybe their differences weren't so irreconcilable, though. All right. I rambled for a little bit about here's God's perfect design. And then what if you find yourself outside of God's perfect design? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? I was designed to need this other person, want this other person, partner with this other person, and now things have gone haywire. All right. Let's start reading. Let's start reading our passage. And then hopefully uh, we can find a way from these other ramblings back to this, okay? Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. Lord, help us as we read. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Now, if you're, if you're coming here for the first time, you haven't been a part of this uh, sermon series, there was a man named Jacob. And Jacob was forced to flee his home, and he landed uh, among some people he was related to, and he decided to marry a girl, and her name was Rachel. And so he bartered with Rachel's father for the bride price, and he set up the, his engagement to Rachel, and when the wedding night came, the father pulled an old switcheroo, because Rachel was the younger daughter, and he wanted to marry off the older daughter first. And so he pulled an old switcheroo, and while uh, Jacob, we suppose, was drunk while the lights were out, while the veil was over her face. He consummated with Leah. And all of a sudden, he is married to Leah. And there's no going back. They're absolutely stuck together. He's now married to a woman that he didn't intend to marry. He, he married somebody accidentally. That happens in Las Vegas all the time. Not in the ancient world so much. Uh, but it's, it's possible to wake up accidentally married to somebody. There are a few country songs about it too, I think. Well, the father-in-law knew that the boy was ticked, and so he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the other daughter too. Just wait a week, just wait a week, uh, and, and I'll give you the other daughter too. And at the end of it, uh, Jacob got Rachel too. Probably less partying on that wedding night, probably checked under the veil before he did anything, confirmed it all. And so Jacob ended up with two wives, all right? And that's called polygamy. He ended up with two wives, and that is certainly out of God's ideal. All right. Uh, even though polygamy actually is pretty common in the Old Testament, it is never ordained by God. It is never a thing that God approves of. It is never a thing. God never looks at a man and says, tell you what, you probably ought to go find another woman to add to the household. I can prove to you, I think, that it's outside of God's ideal. God's first command to Adam and Eve was fill the earth. Fill the earth with people. And, Adam, to, to make that happen, I'm going to give you one woman. I'm going to give you one woman. If God's whole point was to fill the earth with people, that's it. Reproduction is the only, the only goal. Certainly he would have given him ten. All right? We could, we could, we could make this, this, this filling of the earth happen faster, couldn't we? But that's not what he did. To fill the whole earth, he gave Adam one wife. The first person in the Bible that's mentioned that marries two women, uh, the first polygamist is a guy named Lamech. He's an extremely violent guy who boasted of his violence. Not exactly godly. Not the kind of person you want to emulate. As it goes on down, every time a righteous person marries more than one wife, it causes a huge problem in the family setup. People get rejected because you can't serve 
two masters. Isn't that what Jesus said? And if I can extrapolate that out, you can't love two people with all your heart. So hurt and pain is the only thing that happens in every single polygamous situation. From Abraham to Jacob that we'll see, on down to King David, and even to Solomon. And remember, how many, Sol how many wives did Solomon have? 700. And how many concubines did he have? Concubine is a, a step down from wife, not exactly a full wife. He had 300 concubines. Let me tell you how far outside that ideal is. How can he know them? How can he know all their names? How can he be, he be part of their life? How can he be part of their flourishing, their emotional support, anything like that? He can't. He can't. So they have been reduced. They're not even people anymore. Furthermore, that is really the beginning of the end for Israel when he takes all of those wives. Wisest man in the world did the, the most foolish thing he could have. But here we are back to Jacob and Leah. Leah, the first wife, the wife that was pawned off, the wife that he didn't bargain for, the wife that he didn't pay the bride price for, that she is not who he wanted. She is not who he wanted. And of course, in our society, and I don't know anybody in here or anything like that, I don't know, but sometimes people marry people that it's not really who they wanted. They got stuck with them. All right, let's keep reading. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive and give her this honor of having children. But Rachel, her sister, remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Reuben, Reuben, the ben there means son. Re, the re there means see. See a son. Or God has seen me, so I have a son. There's a whole lot of different ways that you can interpret it. It's a, a, maybe it's intentionally and poetically vague so that you can kind of, uh, uh, see, I have a son. Jacob, see, look at me now. Look here, Jacob, you have a son. Now you'll love me, right? Verse 33. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved. So she had Reuben, and now she's still not loved. It, Reuben didn't do anything for the love problem. Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last... And if I could add a word there, now surely he will, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So uh, he was named Levi. Levi sounds like the word attach. Verse 35, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Leah lived outside the ideal. She found herself in a marriage that she didn't daydream about all of her growing up years. You never sit and daydream about uh, being married and having problems in the marriage, do you? No. And every time you get married, anytime somebody gets married or gets into a relationship for the very first time, they're very highly idealistic about it. It's going to be perfect. And I'll tell you this, you have the right to expect that because God designed this, and he designed it well. He designed it for your flourishing. He designed it so it would be perfect. The problem is, two sinful people came into this marriage. And so, I'm sorry, 
it's not going to be perfect. But I don't want anybody to put away their idealism or put away their optimism because it is good or it can be good. All right? So she, she grew up hoping that someday her prince would come. He didn't. And then she finally had to get pawned off. And I'm guessing she started out life, uh, maybe not started out, but somewhere in her formative years, she probably started to lose all of her self-esteem when the suitors didn't come and uh, when other problems arose. And everybody has a little bit of insecurity anyway. And then finally she gets married, and she thinks that this will turn the corner. This will start making things better. Life will get much better for me after this. This is all I needed to be happy. And then it didn't make her happy. It didn't make her feel loved. It didn't make her feel fulfilled. But if I have a baby, oh, if I have a baby, and no, I'm sorry, even having a baby. Babies are wonderful. I love babies. I've got, I've got some. They only magnify what's already there. If there's love there, I'm glad. That baby is going to magnify the love. If there's nothing but sort of pain and resentment and somebody wanting to get out of the relationship to begin with, and then you add a baby, whew, it gets worse. Because babies only add stress. They add stress and they magnify a lot of things. Well, maybe another baby will help it. Maybe another baby will help it. Maybe another baby will help it. Probably not. Probably not. Everything just sort of gets magnified. But here's where the growth that we see in, in Leah is. She has invited God into it. She believes that God is in her life. She believes that God, what? Sees her? Yeah, God sees her. Never loses any faith that God sees her. God sees me. God sees you. No doubt she's been praying. No doubt she's been hoping. No doubt she's got all kinds of things welling up in her heart all the time. And with the second baby, we see. We see. She has this belief. He hears me. He's heard every time that I cried. He's heard every complaint. He's heard every hopeless thing ever, that I've ever done. He's heard all of my uh, all the emptiness echoing in my heart. He hears me, too. Excellent. I only wish my husband saw me. I only wish my husband heard me. But at least I know that God sees me. At least I know that God hears me. And then the third, the third son, the attachment. You have the right to expect that your spouse would attach to you. Isn't that what God said in the very beginning? The two become one flesh? Can't even really rip them apart? Of course you're attached. Of course you want to be attached. Now, finally, my husband will not just attach with me in body, but in soul, in heart, in mind, in spirit, in everything will finally be attached. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And so after years and years of disappointment with this good thing that God designed, finally with her fourth son, she got a little bit more realistic expectations. Unfortunately, she lost all of her idealism, unfortunately. She lost all of her optimism about it, unfortunately. Because I wish she didn't have to lose any of those things. And then she said, you know what? I'm just going to leave him out of it. And I'm going to praise the Lord. 
And it's a terrible thing to not be able to praise the Lord along with Jacob, united in heart and mind, but it's what had to happen. It's what had to happen. And if any of you are in a relationship or you're in marriage or anything like that, and there's an incredible disappointment in it with you, I want to just encourage you a a little bit. Uh, Your desire, let me come back, God's design of marriage, I think was always going to be temporary. In the New Testament, we we see Jesus answering, uh, it was an absurd question that people posed to him about who this woman is going to be married to for all of eternity. She's had several husbands. And the question wasn't about a man who had several wives. That they didn't care about. But this woman's had several different husbands. In eternity, in heaven, and and, and in the perfection that is to come, who's she going to be married to? And Jesus gives this uh, revelation, this new insight, this new thing that nobody knew about before. And he says, your problem is you don't know the Scriptures. I love that he says that to religious authorities. Um, He said, "In, in eternity... We don't really get married. There's no giving in marriage, getting in marriage, or anything like that. He sort of reveals, in heaven, I'm your primary relationship for all of eternity. All the hope that you had in your spouse, all the fulfillment you had in your spouse, all of that attachment that you had with your spouse, all of that uh, becoming of the same essence together, all of that, that was all supposed to point towards me. In heaven, for all of eternity, You don't get to be joined with this person forever. You get to be joined with God forever. And that is what you should have, be looking forward to in the future. You're supposed to be looking forward to being completely one in spirit with me. That's going to give you all the joy. That's going to give you all the fulfillment. That's going to give you all the, the worship and even ecstasy. You attached to me. And so, for anybody that is in a non-ideal situation, a non-ideal singleness that you didn't want, a non-ideal marriage that you didn't want, a marriage that you wanted but that turned very badly, unpredictably, the thing that I will always want to give you is hope, is hope that the marriage that you wanted is, is actually pointing to the relationship that you can have with God. Through Jesus Christ, your matchmaker, he is the one who connects us with God. And all the fulfillment that you're, all the expectation that you're expecting to receive from your spouse, you see sometimes we can even put, even in a good marriage, you can put expectations on your spouse that it's really not fair of you to ask them to forgive all of your sins and transform your heart and mind. They can't do it. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. You might be expecting things from your spouse that really only God can provide for you. But also to just say that someday you will have the perfect relationship you've always longed for. And the perfect relationship that anybody has ever longed for is all the relationship, uh, this relationship with God. He is the ultimate spouse. He is the ultimate bridegroom who will come to receive his bride And then we are all happy and connected with him forever. And it took a long time, I think, for Leah to learn this. And I think if you read the next chapter, you will find she didn't really learn it. She she learned it in her heart, but it was or in her head, but it was not 
really learned in her heart because in the next chapter we're going to see her conniving to get Jacob some more. Hasn't really let it go. And I want to give you some assurance. God sees you. God sees you. And he knows the situation that you're living in. He knows the marriage that you're in that is non-ideal, that is different than what you had hoped for and, and wanted. And I hope that you're praying. And if you're praying, I can tell you. He hears all of your prayers. I also know that he is committed to changing both, or at least one of the people in the marriage. And if you are seeking a relationship with him, he is seeking to transform your heart and mind. And if you are praying for the other person, I can promise you, he is seeking to change their heart and mind. He is wanting to make the best of a bad situation, a medium situation, and a good situation, and turn it all into something that honors him to turn it all into what he designed, to take something awful and redeem it and turn it into something wonderful. He sees you, he hears you, and he attaches to you. You can't be more attached with God than to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you believe, the Spirit of God comes and takes up residency in your heart and in your mind. He is attached to you. Even if you're not very attached to him, even if you don't sense that attachment with him, I promise you, he is completely attached to you. And when you have the confidence to know, God sees me. My spouse may not see me. Nobody else in the world may see me. I may feel like I'm completely invisible to everybody else in the world. Why does nobody notice me? Why does nobody see me? Why is nobody attracted to me? And you may feel like nobody hears me. I say things. Nobody hears them. I ask for things. Nobody ever gives them to me. I reach out to people. It seems to mean nothing. It falls on deaf ears. I want to be attached to somebody. I can't be. Whatever it is. I promise you that God sees you. God hears you. If you are following the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have become his disciple, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in you, and he has attached himself to you vigorously. And the ultimate end of it all, whether you're in the ideal situation, which nobody is, but even if you're close to the ideal, or whether you're in a terrible place, but God is with you, the end of it all, what was the end of it all for, for Leah here in this passage? It's praise. This is praise. The end of it all can be praise that God got you, gave you, turned something bad into something good, or saved you out of something awful, and is seeing you through all the way to the end, and has great plans for you to be attached to him and to the rest of the church together forever. If you can know that and believe that, I think you'll be able to praise him today. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you work in difficult situations. I thank you that even if somebody feels rejected, even if somebody feels unseen and unheard, you are there with them. You see them. You hear them. You can attach to them, Lord. Do that for all of us. And Lord, please, help us not to withhold the praise. Help us to stop um, 
Help us to start praising you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.